This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango in studio with Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic as well as uh, our good buddy Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN. Gentlemen, happy almost Christmas to you. How we doing? Everybody doing all right? Well, Alex, it must be Christmas for a lot of people because no traffic on the way to the studio. <laughs> Let me tell you Everybody's off. I didn't, I didn't go slower than 65 on the highway. Way, which I was following the speed limit rules, everyone listening, but I didn't go slower than that. Typically, I go 35 on the highway to get here on Tuesday mornings. Yeah, uh, I guess I got out a little earlier than you dudes because I ran into a, <laughs> I ran into a little bit enough to make me irritated. You know what I mean? I honestly, there, there's nothing, and I say this, I there are a few things in our city that I hate like I do 270, and and I know that it's that it's that it's an you know it's not a real thing. It's but like I I hate it. So much. And then I moved. Not only did we move, but we moved three miles off of 270, which I thought to myself, oh, this will be great. Far enough off the highway. Oh, great idea when there's days for traffic. So then the entire three miles can be backed up to get on the friggin' highway. <laughs> well, don't tell this to Kerry Davis because if you complain about St. Louis traffic, he'll tell you about Atlanta. And, oh, yeah. You know, six other Any cities. pro athlete you can complain to about traffic, be like, yeah, okay, sure. Well, sure. That, you know what? That's fine. So it sucks there, too. Well, it sucks here, and I still have the right to say how much it sucks. <laughs> Is there anywhere that doesn't suck with traffic? No. Boca Raton, Florida, because well, they're in wheelchairs? Golf carts, something golf like carts? that. Golf carts? But you're right. I mean, you know, people are what people are all over the place, so it's not just here, not just there. No, but I'm, it's frustrating, and it's one of my least favorite parts about our wonderful town. It gets bad here, though. Like It gets it gets to the point where road rage takes over in, this, in these parts. Oh, I don't which, know anything about that. Yeah, I was going to say, which I... Uh, <laughs> I don't, Might be part of the select few. I, I don't know. Invented it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know about invented. Perfected, maybe. Invented, I don't know. Donnie, Donnie actually has a 101 class on tape that he films for people to watch on Road Rage 101. So, honest to goodness, and, and this doesn't have to do with Road Rage, but I guess it kind of does. I will not put a Bill's sticker or license plate cover or any of that stuff on my car because, one, I don't want playing? people to know. <laughs> You want to do that, Jeremy? We, is this how we're going to go? I always think that we're friends until we get no. into the room. No, not so much. JR puts on that facade of friendship until he <laughs> sees boy, an opening. he brings out the daggers, man. He sees an opening and it's just boom. Actually, they're playing well now. That would have been a better joke a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Two well, weeks ago, it would have been a much better joke. Hey, man, I'm just enjoying it week by week, brother. That's <laughs> that, that's that's all I could do. I'm just happy to be watching football games and breathing at the same time. Like, well, that, why that, no stickers, though? What do you? Oh, because I don't want people to like be like, that's a Buffalo Bill sticker in South County. That's probably got to be Donnie. I don't want. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to. I, I feel like I'm setting my car up to, to have the tires slashed or something like that, or to get keyed or somebody <laughs> that's, to that's pee on smart. it or something to like pee that. On I mean, I don't know, man. Come I mean, to Jeffco, I think it's all still Raiders stuff from the '80s and '90s. Still stuck on the on the dots. Well, that's coming back around Saint though. Steamers probably oh, on a windshield somewhere. Dude. All right. So, guys. All right. Listen. Hey, listen, enough niceties and joking aside. Oh, here we go. What a freaking crazy week to be a Blues fan. Holy Toledo. What All right? happened? What so, happened? <laughs> yeah, JR's still trying to breathe. <laughs> Dude, this is so amazing. Okay, so coach gets fired. Talk about it last week. We're all still stunned. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. In the wake of this, Jordan Cairo asked about his coach by 
our former coach, by potentially somebody in this room, he gives a very short, very curt answer, and the fans let him freaking have it. I have so many mixed emotions. I have so many questions to ask about this, but I want to first start out by saying that first and foremost, I think that you can think that Jordan Cairo acted like a jerk, kind of got busted in it, but then is also young enough that he can learn from mistakes like this. And I think in the grand scheme of things, it's just not that big of a deal, grand scheme of things. But for this young man's career, I think that it could be a big deal because that to me, what just happened in that 12 hour span of, or 24 hour span of Ruby, his Kairos comments, and then the booing and stuff, and then the post game. I, boy, you have to think that that dude did some maturing and some friggin' growing up and some holy smokes. I better be very careful on how I say and what I say. Yeah, it's it's really a lot to digest, and you know, I figured we could give some context here to the situation. Yeah, you know, I I uh, I've talked about it this week, but uh, just to let you guys, you know, here's how I see it. I walked into the locker room. Jordan Kyrou was sitting by himself at his stall. A lot of the other players had been asked already, hey, what do you think about the coaching move? What do you think about Craig Bruby? And they gave their answers, right? Great coach, you know, great guy, stinks he lost his job, so on and so forth. So I wanted to ask Jordan Kyrou. So I approached him. I asked uh, two questions first. I said, hey, what did you think of the coaching situation, the move? And he said, I don't know, nothing really. And that was kind of a quick, curt answer, right? And uh-huh. I thought, okay, well, you know, something's going – obviously, you know, a lot of people speculated about their relationship. But then I said, uh, hey, you've played for Drew Bannister in, in San Antonio. What do you think? Oh, I like him. We do power play drills early. We do yada, yada. And I said, you know what? Uh, i got to ask some tough questions sometimes. It's not always fun. But I do want to ask you, just because I've been asked a lot about your relationship with Craig Bruby, you know, would you want to say anything about that? And that's when he said what he said, no comment. He's not my coach anymore. And, Donnie, here's where it's great to be on a podcast because you can provide more context yes. than you can in a story or yes. a tweet or something like that. But, you know, so he's taken off his skates. He just came off the ice. It's a game day. He's going to go back, get cleaned up, head out, take his nap, get ready for the game, right? So a lot of times Alex knows in these situations they're kind of quick, right? You know, so you have that element to the situation, but also you have the element of this is a guy who's going to be here for seven or eight years and I'm not going to sit here and grill him on the coaching comment that right. he made. Also, if this is an 18-, 19-year-old kid, I've done this before, you say, hey, buddy, that might not be the best thing to say here. I'm not going to do that with a 25-year-old. I can't be a filter for every single player for every single thing they say. Nope. So, you know, a lot of times in those situations, you go, holy smokes, this is going to cr- cause a big stir. I'm going to go to Twitter right now and, and, and tweet this and, you know, let people know what he said. I didn't do that. Like three hours passed, and I was at my laptop, and I start kind of tweeting some quotes that happened from the skate that day, and that was one of them. Did I know it was going to get a reaction? Yes. Did I know it was going to elevate to the level that it did? No. And, you know, I'll throw it back to you guys here in a second, but the one thing I'll say is once it exploded – and once it got to the point where people were saying that they were going to boo Jordan Cairo, I mean, it was total lump in the throat, you know, stomach drops, can't believe this is going to be a situation to get to that level. And so when I got to the game, and I think Alex and I were sitting next to each other, and he touches the puck and there's the booing, it's like, yikes, you know, this is this is something. So, yeah. you know, we can we can 
discuss this even further. I just wanted to set so the table you, so so the uncomfortable. Obviously, j- just saying this. So the uncomfortable part for you, obviously, is that the last goddamn thing that you want to do, Jeremy Rutherford, is become a part of the story in any way, shape, or form. Any way, shape, or form. Any story. Any anything. Any, you don't want to be in the middle of. It. You're just you. You are just conveying it for the the, the hockey fans. So that was just. When, I, as I'm watching it at home, because I texted Alex. Mm-hmm. Once I read your thing, I texted Alex, and it was a it was a slew of swear words. Um, I, I had I, to shield my eyes at times, like clutch my pearls. And we talked about it. You <laughs> yeah. think people are going to boo him? I was completely. I was surprised that people did it. Uh, once the game started, I was even more surprised that they kept doing it. Like, yeah. You know. So then. <laughs> Me being the crazy person that I am, by the third period, I'm starting to think, well, we're going to run a 40-goal scorer out of town. We're going to run a 40-goal scorer out of town by booing, 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 booing. And I start thinking to myself, I don't know the right thing is here, but I know I don't like what he said about my coach. I don't like that a lot of us know that he was a part of the problem. He he is an answer to a lot, but he has been a bit of a problem from time to time. And so it was just this whole, like, Holy crap. And then the post-game thing happens, and you see him so upset, and you're like, wow, this is a guy that does want to be here. And that's when I guess maybe my dad or old man instincts start to kick in, and I go, well, you know what, man? Sometimes you got to learn lessons the hard way, and this is a friggin' hard way to learn a lesson, but, you know, m- maybe it maybe it made a difference to the kid. I, I really – so, I mean – Initial thoughts when, because we came off the air, our last segment on BK and Ferrario was when JR sent the tweet out. I hadn't seen it. BK saw it before me, and he read it on air. And so I'm hearing the words, and I'm thinking the one way, it, it, it's the same how you misconstrue text messages from everybody. You read it one way, and you're like, oh, this guy just gave Craig Bruby a middle finger. And then you read it again, and you're like, oh, maybe he was just saying, you're not my coach anymore. I'm moving on. So it's like, okay, I understand it, but... The narrative of the Jordan Cairo Craig Berube saga was pushed in this direction. You had everything from last season. You had this season where he wasn't scoring goals, and everyone was like, oh, you need more from Jordan Cairo. Well, he's playing defensive hockey, and this is Craig Berube's problem. This hit the perfect storm, though, because of what happened in that Detroit Red Wings game. And I said this on my show. If Cairo doesn't turn that puck over on the six on five when the goal or six on four or whatever, when a goal goes in the back of the net and they lose that game, Bruby gets fired, maybe those words aren't taken out of context as much as they were following that Detroit Red Wings game. Maybe they're still taken out of context because people knew that Cairo and Bruby butted heads. But it was the perfect storm of Cairo turns the puck over, they lose to the Detroit Red Wings, Bruby gets fired, Armstrong talks about how they need a new voice in there, ipso facto, Jordan Cairo is the reason Craig Bruby's gone. And this is the part that, the more I thought about it, the more I'd understand, the frustration from Jordan Cairo wasn't so much about the words he used. It was more about that Craig Berube's not here tied in with the words that he used. And that's where I think the booing came from. I think the booing came from, and I expected it when they announced his name in the starting lineup. I'm like, yeah, he's going to get booed. I didn't expect it to carry over from the first period to the second period to the third period, but St. Louis sports fans are very smart. And that wasn't a, oh, Bleep Jordan Cairo, this guy. That was St. Louis sports fans, St. Louis Blues fans letting Jordan Cairo know that you can't be bigger than the team. And I think that's where it, 
That's where it hit that perfect eclipse of his emotions. The next game, he plays well, and he gets a raucous crowd cheering moment at Enterprise Center. Yeah, I think Alex is right in terms of the perfect storm, all the things that, that come together. You know, I'll take it a, even a step further, Alex, and say that, like, you know, when you go out in public and you go to a barbecue, you go wherever, you know, as, as a blues writer, um, I would say that half the time you get asked a lot of questions, and a majority of the time they include – What's the relationship like yeah. between Craig Bruby and Jordan Cairo? Yeah. That's what led me to, in that moment, ask Jordan Cairo that question. So, you know, I do think there's an element of his performance, you know, lack of goal scoring that kind of leads to the frustration, that leads to the buildup. And if you didn't put a name on that comment and you just put no comment, he's not my coach anymore, and you put it in front of a lot of people and said, who said this? Which blue said it? The, the guess would be Jordan Cairo. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think that's kind of where that comes from. Now, let me touch on one other thing. You know, people say, oh, why'd you feel bad if you didn't do anything wrong? If you just quoted them, why would your stomach drop when they're booing? It's just part of, you know, the whole situation. Well, I think in that situation, when it gets to that level and they're booing, the hometown fans are booing a player, you just start to think, okay, how could I have handled it maybe differently? Uh, Because you you just quoted them, right? But with Twitter, it's difficult to provide the tone. Yep. The context was there. It was not taken out of context. He said it. But the tone, is it flippant? Is it malicious? Uh, you know, did he just say it matter-of-factly? Is there anything else you could have tweeted to provide more to the person who's reading it on Twitter so that people like Alex, when they see it, they're not wondering, what? how did he say it? What did he say? But you really can't provide. You can't you, provide. Not, I mean, the words came out because I heard the words. It was no comment. He's not my coach anymore. As bold and as matter-of-fact of a statement as you can yeah. ask. And so he did say it. Uh you know, then you start to wonder, maybe Twitter wasn't the spot for it. Maybe it was an athletic article. Maybe it was a situation where you could go back to him and say, hey, I'm going to write about this. Is there anything else that you would like to say, you know, in response to what you said earlier? So, you know, there's so many different directions that you could have gone. I'm not saying any of them are the right one. I'm just saying as the writer who's suddenly in the middle of the situation where a hometown player is getting booed, you think about, is there any other way? Okay. Oh, go no, ahead. Go ahead, Tony. No, I was just going to say, like, from a fan perspective, though, bro, you could hold on to that for an athletic article, and I could still be reading it, and in that context, I'm still going to get pissed off about it. I, I mean, think it'd be worse if—not not the worst. I think it would have gotten bigger if it was the athletic article, because then people would have—because you would have written it, and it would have come out the next day following, I guess—well, no, it might have been uh, good, because it would have come out following a Blues victory. Maybe that would have been a little – I'm not saying you should have done it that way, but what I'm saying is I think a Blues fan would have still seen those words and it still would have stung even with a Blues win Yeah, because it wasn't so much about him. It was more about Craig Berube. People came to the defense of Craig Berube. Yeah, and boy – and I mean – and I think, too, the speed in which that went, that it happened, I think – I think if Blues fans were given another maybe 24 to 36 hours before there was a game, maybe that, maybe the booing isn't as loud, maybe it's not as consistent, but boy, those fans, that was raw. Like that Band-Aid had just been ripped off and people were still screaming. <laughs> Frankly, it goes to show you how impactful social media is because, I mean, what, came out at 1.45 and by 7 o'clock that night, People were already. People had seen it. People reacted to it. I mean, it was everywhere. I mean, you had John Bucci-Gross pick it up with ESPN. You had Spit and Chicklets pick it up. Like everybody I mean, jumped in everywhere. on that, and it sparked conversation, which is never a bad thing. And that's the part that is so infuriating with something like that because 
what you don't want to happen, and why I would imagine JR's lump was in his throat when that happened, was because now you get the players that don't want to talk because they think everything's going to get spun a wrong direction, and then that's a disservice to the fan base because if they're not going to talk, fans don't get that behind-the-scenes look. And that's why I think it's always good to spark conversation, and that's why I felt like it was such a good response by Blues fans that Saturday night to where they stopped booing because I was worried it was going to keep going. Yeah. And what you don't want to happen is you don't just want to you don't want to keep pouring salt in that wound. It's look, he, he the point was made yes. very clear. He was in tears afterwards. He realized that was a growing moment for him. And I personally respect the fact that Saturday he came out and played a really strong game. Blues fans cheered for him, and then he had his reaction the next day. Hopefully that is something that he says, now I need to really think before I speak to somebody when it comes to how that's going to sound. You know, one of the things that that I do not take into account, and I know that I should, and I know that this is something that we all know, but, you know, man, um, and, and, and I think sometimes we get so lost in how much money that these dudes make that we forget the fact that they're human beings. And one, like, I would assume that since Jordan Cairo was, what, 12, 13 years old, literally all homeboy has done is played hockey at an exceptionally high level. Yeah. Everything else has been secondary to Scored goals, best player on the team. Yeah. Every time, Adoration. everywhere he goes, all right? Sounds like me in junior uh, <laughs> baseball, basketball, football, everything I was great at that. <laughs> I, yeah, sure. Yeah, you can tell, can't you, Donnie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes yeah. sense, I know. But, but <laughs> I mean, I feel, like there's, <laughs> I feel like there's a point. I mean, there was a point to be learned here from this guy, and I think, man, sometimes these guys live in such a bubble that maybe sometimes they don't realize the weight that their words carry. Should they? Absolutely. But if you're 25 and that's been your kind of bubble, I mean, I can I can see that. I can see you not having the perspective to know how you're sounding, what it's going to sound like. You know what I'm saying? Well, and I think... Personally, that's where the tears came from after that game. I don't think it was about what he said, and I think it was more about those tears came from the fans' reaction to it. I think that was that first moment by Jordan Cairo that was like, oh, geez, it's like these fans, they know their stuff, and I've never been booed before in my life from a home team. That's where I felt like those tears came from. That was kind of that eye-opening moment for Jordan Cairo that it's like, yeah, it's like maybe maybe this gets a lot bigger in certain situations than what it should have been. Yeah, and I don't want to be the person to say this uh, because, again, I go back to don't want to be in the middle of the story. You know, for 20-plus years, you just report the story, and here's what happened, and here's what people said. Um, So you don't want to be part of the story. But in the past four or five days, I've had so many people tell me, you know, maybe this will be a turning point for him in terms of that understanding. So to clarify, that's not me saying that. That's just people who've witnessed the situation and said – Kind of exactly what Alex is saying here is that, you know, people can turn on you. People can speak the truth to you. A fan base that adores you and and cheers, you know, comes out of their seats every time you score a wicked goal like you do. Uh, You know, if if there's something you say that they're not on board with, which obviously Craig Bruby's popularity is what Alex Mm -hmm. said. That's what led to that kind of reaction. Um, you know, then then maybe whether he understand that or he understands that they want him to play harder and give a better effort every night, you know, whatever it is, perhaps it could be a turning point. I, I don't wish that would have happened. I don't think that it needed to happen. Uh, I think that Jordan, as he grows and matures, can become that player. Uh, I just think that you know what a lot of people have said is it could be some sort of turn. Well, and just a couple of different 
perspectives on it because we talked to a ton of people last week with the breakdown. First of all, I thought Paul Bissonnette had a really good breakdown on spitting chicklets about it to what JR, JR just said of one of those people that's like, look, people can turn on you no matter what. And Bissonnette talked about, look, the love for Craig Berube was a big deal in St. Louis and people people in St. Louis attached to that that workhorse, that blue-collar mentality, yeah, and man. that's why they attached to, to Craig Berube. But we talked to Bruce Boudreau last week, former NHL head coach, and, and asked him about it, and he even said, like, look, as if I was his coach, I would have put my arm around him after that game and said, look, probably not the best thing to say, maybe stay away from the media for a couple of days, but you're going to make it through this because this is just a lump in the road that you push through. But I thought the best breakdown was from Mike Rupp, former NHL Stanley Cup winner with the Devils. He works for NHL Network. He said, this is a turning moment for a 25-year-old kid that, to what we've just talked about, has always been the star on his team. And he said every player, no matter where you come from, if you're Sidney Crosby, if you're a guy in the American Hockey League, you always have one of those moments that you make the wrong decision and your career could go a different direction. But he said his biggest hiccup, his big biggest mountain he's going to have to overcome is figuring out how to do that yourself. He said coaches can't carry you through this. PR can't carry you through this. He's like the only way you make good for what took place was your play on the ice. He said, if your play on the ice backs up what the fan base thinks of you, then they're going to keep booing. If the play on the ice backs up what the fan base thinks of you, then they're going to cheer for you. And he said, that's where it comes down for a Jordan Cairo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll be dang. This is so freaking fascinating. Okay, couple things. I want to obviously talk about Drew Bannister in the last couple games here for the note. But one thing I, I wanted that I've just been kind of thinking about over the course of the last week since um, Coach Berube got fired. You know, guys, what is the – I feel like the lifespan of an NHL coach <laughs> is like freaking three, four, maybe five years. And I, I don't – I don't. I mean, I, listen, I don't know if it's a good thing, bad thing, but it's – definitely feels like a weird thing that like that the churn is there it's almost like the players know hey man if we don't dig this dude we just got to wait him out and it probably won't even be that long of a wait and we'll get a new guy in um what do you i mean is that what do you guys think about that i mean is that and maybe that's just my perception no. from the outside you I, know mean, what I mean going back to boudreau when we talked to him we asked him because he's been He's been fired midseason and hired midseason three separate times. And he said, my lifespan has been about three and a half to four years. And he said, I don't know why. He said, if I knew the answer, I'd still probably have a job right yeah. now. But Barubi, I thought, said it yesterday best with BK and Ferrario. He said, it's leadership. He said, leadership is how the, the message doesn't get stale. And he's not wrong. I mean, look, when Ken Hitchcock's message got stale, I'm doing air quotes on the radio. You can see that. That was... The year after David Backus left, and David Backus was kind of that voice of the locker. I mean, he was the captain. And if you lose a leader that can take a coach's message and relay it to a group of players, well, now who's relaying that message to the group of players? It's a new leadership core. And if they're not around that coach, if they don't like that coach, well, welcome to the voice getting stale. 
The same can kind of be said for Craig Berube to where that leadership core that was Alexander Steen, Alex Petrangelo, David Perron that took his words and said, this is what it means. Well, it's not it's not pushing that way. And I know Braden Shen's the leadership there, but it's not just one person. I think it's a core of players. And I think that's why you've seen it around the National Hockey League. Some teams do it because they need a spark, Minnesota, Edmonton. But I think other teams do it because... If, if if they don't have the right personnel around that head coach, well, then that message is not going to coincide with the group of players. Yeah, I think it can be either one. I think it can be the message growing stale. Um, that was not the situation here necessarily, I don't believe. In the case of like a Ken Hitchcock, yeah, maybe it, mm-hmm. it gets stale. I think it did. So there's a lot of times where I think that, okay, there's a lot of players that are on this team who have had a certain coach like a Ken Hitchcock for four or five years, and it's just time to end the day, right? But I think with a guy like Craig Bruby, Alex – you know, mentioned what Craig Bruby said on the air yesterday on 101 ESPN that it's a leadership. And if there's a lot of turnover in that leadership, there's no longer the guys who had success with you, the O'Reilly's, the Alex Petrangelo's, and those types of guys who can grab the young guy and say, hey, listen, we've done it this way. We've won. This is the guy who took us there. You need to get in line. And if you don't have that, then then perhaps that message isn't getting through to the rest of the team. Uh, you know, Braden Shen's still here. Colton Pareko's still here. Were those guys doing that? You know, we don't know. Uh, but Craig Bruby, as he said yesterday, uh, he thinks that if that message is being delivered to the rest of the team, that a coach can outlast four to five years. Boy, oh, boy. I'm glad I don't know anything about hockey. <laughs> I mean, and plus two, like, and then I start to think about the, you know, man, and, and I know that this is not my place. I'm just a fan. But, you know, in the, it, I liked Berube so much, and I got, got, got to thinking, like, man, dude, like, I wonder if maybe he's going to at least get to see his kids for a couple of months before he takes another gig. Or, like, he's going to get to spend some time with his wife. And I thought that would be kind of nice. But then I'm like, well, is he going to be bummed out because he got canned that he's not going to be able to enjoy that time? You know, so, like, I just take this way too seriously. Yeah, I, I think that's it. For about about 20 minutes, and he was in a good spot. He said, yeah. you know, dude, I want to continue with these guys. He actually said something that stuck out to me, Donnie. He said, uh, you know, if I would have got fired last year, this would have made maybe a little more sense with the way last year went. He said they felt like this year they had kind of put some things together. Now, people might disagree with that. The power play was awful. You know, the up and down, win-lose, win-lose, things like that. So, you know, you step back, you can understand why there was a reason why you would consider moving on from Craig Bruby at this point. And, and we'll talk about Drew Bannister, I'm sure, here in a minute and what the team looks like with him. But, yeah, I think he'll take some time off. And what he told me is that uh, he uh, he wants to pick the right spot. I know it's cliche. Everybody says that. But, I mean, it, it's true. He's got a successful track record. He can – kind of hand pick but where are those spots you look across the 30 other one other teams and you know a lot of teams got a coach or they got a young guy or they got a guy they just hired you know things like that so <laughs> what are the Donnie's already got it who do you got well if you're like a team like friggin columbus aren't you yeah. gonna back up the god dang brings truck to get somebody like Baruby That's a in team there that does make a lot of sense yeah. yeah especially when you're talking about the players that they have i mean johnny goudreau and patrick line don't match the identity of craig Baruby, but right. like a boone jenner does their entire defensive core does uh, to, to me the team was ottawa now and i know they just brought in that jacques martin to be the interim head coach ottawa was the team that was like if you ever wanted a coach that took you to the next level it's craig Baruby because look at their captain brady kachuk Look at their roster, a ton of big dudes that have size. Their defensemen like to get into the play. They're all really big guys. Their goaltending is their biggest problem. That was the team that I was like, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm the Ottawa Senators, I would have fired DJ Smith the moment I saw Craig Berube become available. But 
there's there's a couple teams that make sense, but the question is, are you going to actually do it? And does Craig Peruby want to go there? Yeah, does he want right. to go there? That's the biggest. Thing. I think he, Ottawa makes more sense than Columbus because they're closer to winning. And yeah. then also in Columbus, you got the whole you know hierarchy with uh, Yarmo and mm-hmm. JD. How much longer are they going to be there if, if things don't go right? So Ottawa makes a yeah. A their team's sense. in shambles. I don't know if I'm Craig Peruby. I want to go there. Right. I want to go somewhere where I got a chat. The part that I was curious about would be the New Jersey Devils, but since Lindy Ruff was so good last year, it'd be hard to imagine. But they've underperformed this season, and that's another team that you look at and you say they kind of need a little bit of discipline right now. Okay, a couple things, and I, I swear to God we're going to talk about Drew Bannister here in a second, but um, have you guys heard any um, outside coaching rumors, the one in which that I have heard over the course of the last couple of days, which obviously just has to do with the name value, I'm not saying there's anything here, but a lot of folks have wondered if Joel Quinville yeah. could potentially be a possibility, and there's a lot of steps that would have to be taken uh, for that to happen. But one, do you think Joel Quinville is a realistic option? A, B, if it's not Coach Q, what are some of the other names out there that you're hearing? Not internally, obviously. I think that it's a possibility. I don't want to rule out Joel Quinville, even if you think that it might not happen. I don't want to rule it out. You know, I think that. Obviously, St. Louis has an affinity for Joel Quinville, for one Coach of the best Q. coaches in, in, in team history. Um, obviously, everybody in St. Louis is aware of what happened in Chicago, and, and maybe some people think he did nothing wrong. Maybe people think he was part of it. They wouldn't want him here in St. Louis. As far as Joel Quinville coming back to the NHL, and I think he has to be reinstated, obviously, by, yeah. by Gary Bettman, St. Louis, I think, would be one of the places in the league that would welcome him because of that past history and, and all the success that he had here. So I think his familiarity with St. Louis, I think I think it would be probably a place that he would consider heavily. Um, the one thing I would say from the Blues' perspective is, is, I guess, two things. One is, do the Blues want to put themselves in a situation like that where they're welcoming back a coach who was part of that situation? Correct. Whatever you think the culpability was, would you want to welcome him back? And then two, is he the right fit for this team in the situation that it's in where it wants to win now, but yeah, it's in a retool and it's kind of looking forward to... So how does Quinville, he's going to come in, he's going to grab the veterans, he's going to probably win some games with this team, but, oh, Dvorsky, you want me to develop him? Okay, uh, Snuggerud's coming up. Like, is is Joel Quinville in it for the the retool? Like, yeah. is, is he in it to develop some of those younger guys? So that's the questions I would have. Well, and that's what Barubi said yesterday with, with BK and, and Ferrario. He said, like, he, they asked him how difficult it is to not only win in the NHL but develop while you're trying to win. And he said it's one of the toughest things as a coach to do. And he said it's not impossible, but it's very difficult because you're putting young players in a position to succeed. But if they're not ready for that position, well, how are you going to win if you're going to hit those hiccups? So that's, I don't know if Quinville wants that. If you're Quinville and you're getting an opportunity to come back, one, JR is absolutely correct. St. Louis is going to be probably one of the few areas that would welcome him back and actually – be happy for him to be here rather than other places that I think would look at it and be like, what's going on right now? I'm not saying that the everyone would be. I'm sure there's a large lump of fans that would not feel great about it. But, I mean, if you're Joel Quinville, like, you won in Chicago, you were in Florida, and you won there. Like, do you really want to go somewhere where winning might still be a couple of years away compared to, let's say, I go to Ottawa, and Ottawa throws money at me if they're available. Or, you know, New Jersey fires rough in the offseason. Like, those are the teams that Quinville would make sense for. 
when, when I asked Aaron Dreger this about the coach that makes sense, he he immediately pushed back and said, let's not overlook Drew Bannister. He's like, Drew Bannister is a young head coach, and how many times have we seen AHL head coaches come to the NHL and have success, i.e. Craig Berube with the Blues last time? So he said, Drew Bannister is a guy that knows hockey. He's been around hockey his entire career. He was a second-round draft pick. So he said, don't overlook a guy like this that, that really could – take the team and run with it. The other one that I thought of, just I'm going to throw this out there, tinfoil for both of you, Carolina and Rod Brindamore don't have a contract beyond this season. Oh, stop it. You know what, man? When you say stuff like that, then the, then the hair on the back well, of my neck saying. gets They also a, don't have a goalie. So there you go. <laughs> sounds like a coach being like, well, this team's in shambles. Maybe I'll go elsewhere. We talked about this last week, dudes. I, I just feel like the way for this team is got to be one of these younger guys and is not... I don't look at Coach Q as a retread, but it can't, guys. It cannot be that like what we talked about—the Gerard Gallants. The it can it, right. that doesn't make sense, Donnie, right? You're 100 right. The only thing yeah. is, I think Brendan Moore is in a different category. Oh than yeah. Those oh other yeah, guys. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah, even yeah. mean to Donnie's get, just yeah. discarding yeah. that because it's not even a real thing. That, that, that just yeah. that Thanks, just got Donnie. me all yeah, yeah. that just got me all titillated. Brendan Moore is obviously one of the elite <laughs> coaches in the league, and and if he has any interest whatsoever, you for sure have to consider that. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. I, I don't think it makes any sense whatsoever to bring in a Gallant or any of these guys, you know, who want to win absolutely right now. Their jobs, you know, are they going to be here in two years if they don't have success? That doesn't make yeah. sense. And I like what Drager said. It's only been two games with uh, Bannister, and I've known him for a few years because he's worked with the Blues American Hockey League affiliate for a while. Um, I think whether it's Bannister or someone like him, you want somebody who can come in and I think grow with these guys, develop the young players, who has a track record of developing young players, which he does. But what makes Bannister, I think, specific to this job is the fact that he knows a lot of these young players, and he's 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 coached them growing up. Yeah. They have trust in him. He has trust in them. So that's already been established. And you, you had that a little bit with Barubi when he came in, right? He had the Barbashevs and those guys that he had coached, and I think that's part of the reason why that was – uh, successful, so so we'll see. But uh, at this point, you know, to me, I'm looking at a younger guy with a track record of improving young players. I, I mean, not to make this comp because it's not the same thing, but that's what Tampa did with John Cooper. I mean, John Cooper was in their minor league affiliate for a couple of years, and then they brought him up. The first year they were there, they missed the playoffs. Next year they got in. The next year they made it to the finals. Then they missed the playoffs again. Like they were in that that retreading situation, and then John Cooper, who's now, what, 56, and he's been with them since 2012. Again, not the same thing. I'm not saying Drew Bannister is the next John Cooper, but what I'm saying is there are plenty of examples around the National Hockey League of successful teams that have brought up the American Hockey League coach and said, yep, this is your roster. See what you can do with it. Did and you, you just tell Donnie that Cooper's coming yeah. to St. Louis? John Cooper. But you know what, <laughs> 2. man? 2. But you know, the, the thing that you said, you know, we we're talking about the coaches having success and longevity in an organization and having a lot to do with the leadership in that locker room, helping them bring that mess. Well, that leadership in that Tampa locker room has been, count, correct me if I'm wrong, has been pretty much the pretty same. consistent for the last yeah, handful of years groups. so then that would make sense as to why he still well, I mean I know they're not having a great year so far this year but I mean still have a lot of success I mean that would speak to that 100 percent couple cups same leadership core and, and also you have a just a, a great guy in Coop who knows how to relate to players and he's on the younger side what do you say Alex 56, 56 now still, yeah yeah he you know he started there real young guy but, so. but here's the thing too like so I'm just looking this up while we're talking so they drafted what Stamkos was 2000 yeah it was 
he was first round, somewhere between six and nine. I can't remember. They had Hedman in that window as well. So those guys were the veteran core players that were there. But he took over in 2012, 2013. Uh, Nikita Kucherov was drafted in 2011, so his first year was Cooper's second year as the NHL head coach. Braden Point was drafted 2014, so Cooper already been there for about five years. But these were guys that were drafted while John Cooper was the head coach of the team, and they not only competed with what they had in Stamkos and Victor Hedman, but then they also developed Kucherov, Point, Vasilevsky, Sergachev, like John Cooper is a perfect example of taking a group that had veteran players and bringing in younger players and meshing them together. Yeah, and and I'll piggyback off of that. I talked to Braden Shen the other day, and I said, "Look, young guy comes in, minor league coach. You're a veteran. You got you know your veteran guys around you. Where does the respect is? Is it right away?" And he said, "Yeah, this guy's coached 12 years in the minor leagues. He's worked to get to this point. You know, we're gonna get behind him, and so he's got the veterans. And then look at a Jordan Kyra situation. I'm sure you guys talked about this, Alex, uh, but Drew Bannister sat down." with Jordan Cairo the morning of the Dallas game a couple days ago, and he said, look, you have unbelievable outside speed. You need to use it. You're not using it. You need to get outside. What did Jordan Cairo do in that overtime goal? Got outside, drove to the net, and Colton Preco cleans it up. So that's just one super small example of where what the, the veterans are saying about Drew Bannister. And then a guy like Jordan Cairo, maybe not a veteran, but maybe not a young guy, who can learn from what Drew Bannister has to bring. So there's just so much, I think, where you look at Drew Bannister in terms of, you know, he's not just this, you know, young guy coming up who wants a crack at it. He's a legit candidate, I think, for the job. And not to rehash on it, but just you saying that made me think about when we were talking Baruby and the message getting stale. What Drew Bannister said to Jordan Kyrou is what Craig Baruby said to us on the radio yesterday. Like, Kyrou's just got to compete. That's where the message gets stale, it gets misdelivered, whatever. Craig Berube saying we need you to compete, where Drew Bannister is giving you examples of, like, this is what I want you to do, and Jordan Kyrou did that, which, again, that's the freshness of a guy who's in the American Hockey League at the time of the problems that knows how to vocalize what he wants to a younger group of players. Which I'm sure that Craig Bruby gave him specific examples Absolutely. Too, which you know, the, the only thing is that Craig Bruby is also the guy who benched him for periods, mm-hmm. who said things publicly, you know, that maybe he didn't like, so on and so forth. So Drew Bannister comes in, it just feels like a fresh yeah. slate for him. Absolutely. I, I, th- listen, when I try to break down plays and things, it's not great, okay? That's not what I'm I here for. I think we need to pull right? video up and let Donnie do that right now. I don't now. think that's a great, well, I think that it could be funny to Coming hear. Coming up in the athletic, <laughs> Donnie Fandango breaks down. <laughs> Donnie breaks down the Blues win. All right, but I want to make this this uh, point, and then you guys can tell me if I'm wrong or not. But it seems as though, and again, it's two friggin' games, that the Blues have done an amazing job of making it absolutely freaking miserable for the other team in the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like they're, God, and I don't know if I'm going to say this the right way, but it just seems like they are closing the gaps. It just seems like they're clogging up the middle more. Like, it just seems like they are making the, not only are they working more, but it seems like they're making the other team work more, too. 
Jer, I don't have my glasses. Is that Drew Bannister talking to us right now, or is that Donnie Fandango? <laughs> Closing like the gap, yeah. standing him up at the blue line. Look at this guy that's, over but, here. But as far as hockeyisms go, that's all I got. <laughs> all I'm, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> Coming up next on The Athletic. Yeah. Uh, I better start working on my DJ. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's see Let's see that the next... Uh, Creed, coming up next. <laughs> new It Sunday, New Music Sundays. Um, I, I personally thought that's what it was, and Mike Kelly of NHL Network, who does a lot of analytics work, put it out after that, what was it? It was either, I think it was after the Dallas Stars game, or the Ottawa, whichever Ottawa, one. Yeah. Who cares? He said that they won 64% of their board battles in that game, compared to 24% against the Detroit Red Wings. Whoa. So, in one game, you had a lot more bodies on pucks, as Steve Ott would like to call it. He wants numbers, and like they 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 did that really well against Ottawa. But the Dallas Stars game is the one that did exactly what you're talking about, to where, I mean, they didn't allow Dallas into the zone at all. It was standing them up, forcing them to dump the puck in and going back and getting it. Frankly, it looked a lot like what the Blues did in the first 10 games of the season, to where they were forcing teams to win board battles against them to retrieve pucks in the offensive zone, and they got away from it for whatever reason it was. That was the one thing that stood out to me with Drew Bannister is those guys were engaged in loose pucks. They were engaged on winning those puck battles, and they were not allowing the other team easy zone entries, which they got into for those last 15 games. Well, here's the thing, guys. Okay, uh, breakdown. Let's pump the break. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, they can go 50-0 and 0 under Drew Bannister or whatever the number is. Oh, but, uh, there he is. No, here's the thing. I think that when we saw the coaching change last week, we all should have ran to Vegas and said, you know, they're going to win these first couple games, yes. right? Because yeah. just players are on their toes, and, you know, whether they're doing it in the defensive zone, neutral zone, and please, I am not jumping on your theory. No, no, you, no, 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 no. This, is, right this is how he wins his athletic yeah. job back, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, you called it the neutral zone. It's really called. <laughs> no, it was super impressive. Uh, I think that um, that you're going to see that jump. Now, here's the thing, Alex. You've looked at the schedule, Donnie. You've looked at the schedule. It gets tough. Yeah. Here. In you know latter December, especially January, where there's going to be some tough teams. Dallas was a tough team. They look phenomenal against them. Uh, you know, I asked Drew Bannister the other day, hey, you know, how do you get past that jolt? Minnesota got it with the coaching change. Edmonton got it. How do you get past that to where you're sustaining it? And he said, you know, it's about creating these habits and continuing to play that same way. So that's what they're going through right now. You know, if guys want to keep their ears open, he wants to keep preaching. They want to start executing. But I think it does go back to the roster and this play- these players. And are they good enough? I can't speak outside of both sides of my mouth where I say that, hey, this is Doug Armstrong's fault. This is a bad roster. It wasn't Craig Bruby's coaching. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden here we are two weeks later and we're saying, wow, this, this is a good team. And yeah. Bannister's got them playing the way that they should be. I think we have to get to that point wherever it is in, in mid-January where we can say, okay, man, they are doing it against this team, that team. This is impressive. So I think the potential is there for him to do that based on what we've seen. Really impressive against Dallas the other night. In the neutral zone. There it is. Uh, but I think that uh, we got to continue to see Well, this. and to that point, it's like the honeymoon period for new coaches. And I asked Boudreaux that too. Like, hey, how do you avoid those honeymoon periods to where it's great for about two weeks and then it falls apart? And he said, the way I avoided it, which, I mean, guy was in the league for a really long time. He's like, I, I was myself. I, I, I stayed true to who I was as a coach, and if the players didn't listen to it, then it's not going to work here. So that's going to be the one thing. Uh, Drew Bannister's not changing anything to get an opportunity like this. JR's right. It, it goes back to what Doug Armstrong talked at his press conference about, passion and the aggressiveness that this team is going to have to bring to it. And um, I'm trying to think of the word that I completely forgot right now that he used. Passion and what was the other one? 
Well, he had the uh, accountability. Accountability. Compete, Thank you. It was yeah. an A word. Yeah, accountability and compete. That's what it's going to come down to for these guys. And two weeks in, if they go on another losing streak, it's not going to be. Oh, see, they should have had Craig Berube. It's it's going to go right back to the players like we've talked all the, all about for the last two seasons. Real quick, guys, uh, in wrapping up, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with anything with the Blues now, um, but guys, can you tell me when is the World Junior Championships? December twenty sixth. Okay, up so until January. January. Yeah, so, but January. that'll be next year, uh, or is no, that that's not no, coming up in a couple of weeks? Up, couple oh, weeks. it's coming yeah, up in yeah, a couple yeah, of weeks. They're doing their their preliminaries right now. U.S. just cut their or Canada just cut their roster down. A lot of the teams will start cutting their roster down, and then the day after the Christmas day after Christmas is when they start the tournament. It goes to like the beginning of January, and it's an NHL Network situation, yep, right? They yep. show a lot of those games on the NHL. Yeah, like Network. at two a.m. So. Oh, Actually, boy. I don't know where it is this year, so it might Sweden. not be. Oh, yeah, 2 a.m. 2 a.m. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, be, be, just because, again, I mean, if you, you know, man, if you've got legitimate concerns about your St. Louis Blues future, maybe you can watch some of these games and feel a little bit better. Maybe you won't. But, I mean. <laughs> I think they got like six guys in right now. Yeah, it's a potential. Because I know Buchinger just got cut from the Canada roster, yep. but they've got Dvorsky, they got Stenberg, they got Snuggeru. they got a lot of dudes that are competing in the World Juniors. So, Donnie, 2 a.m., you and I will come home from partying where yeah. Alex, he'll have the uh, youngins, right? Yeah. I'll yeah. be talking about this before. Oh, no, I'll be sleeping at that time, too. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be mid-REMs at that time. Yeah. <laughs> dudes, you, you parents of younger kiddos. It ain't for the week. That's for damn sure, man. All right, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, For Alex Ferrario, Jeremy Rutherford, uh, Jamie Rivers, I'm Donnie Fandango, and we miss our buddy Jeff Burton very much. We always thank you very much for listening to the Last Minute Blues Podcast. And as always, let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.